Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm back. Have you all missed me? Oh, yes. Of course. Yes. Of, uh, course. of course. It, it was such a hard it. job last week. So difficult. We went over by about an hour. I that's, bet... what hap- that's what happens when you're not there to keep track of time, Steve. I bet you're an absolute shambles. I was an utter uh, embarrassment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was our TV special. We're back to films this week with a Mission Impossible themed special as it is uh, obviously mission impossible five ghost protocol out this week and that's going to be our main release review we're going to start off with the quiz which unfortunately isn't um mission impossible themed but i am winning and it might be an impossible mission for owen to beat me now i like it Winning yeah. early on in the podcast. Uh, yes, I've gone back to the last quiz I'd done, the same the same style of question, because a couple of people tweeted and said they liked it. So I'm going to go with my film translate uh, t- uh, translations <laughs> of movie titles once again. This okay. one, this one, all of these come uh, have been you know translated into into Spanish, Latin American, and then back to English. And we're going to start off with uh, what happened yesterday. Uh, <laughs> what happened yesterday? Yes. Groundhog Day. Uh, no. Good guess. I like where you're coming from. I'll give a clue uh, for throwing for your guess. It's it's a comedy. It's a and comedy. A, and a fairly recent one. I have no idea. This is the end. No, it's The Hangover. The Hangover? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So you translated that to Spanish and then translated. I, did, I didn't. Somebody, oh, okay. somebody, somebody else <laughs> yeah. has done, somebody else has done off done all the translating, and I've just uh, ripped that off and found the way they've done it, and I'm doing reading them out to you. Uh, the next <laughs> one, I'm going to do first to three in this. I might do best of three depending on how good you all are, but we'll go first to three in a moment. First two, three at the moment. Next one is my poor little angel. Mm-hmm. Charlie's Angels? No. <laughs> These are hard. This is so difficult. Fuck no. Uh, <laughs> City of Angels. No, it's uh, Home Alone. Fuck's <laughs> sake. Oh my God. <laughs> right. Um, maybe this one will be a little bit easier, but I wouldn't hold your hopes up. Uh, this one translates to The Club of the Five. Uh, 
Breakfast Club? You are correct, though. Yes! <laughs> Get in. A point. Um, this one is The Rebel Novice. I don't think any of you will get this one. Um, I'll give, give you us a, a, give us a clue. Yeah, it's it's a musical. Uh, a recent musical. No. Uh. A, a classic musical. Swinging what? in the rain. No, it's not. <laughs> West Side Story. No, it's the Sound of Music. And what was the title? What the, 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 the Rebel Novice. <laughs> that doesn't what it doesn't even make any sense whatsoever. Well, I suppose she's rebelling against the Nazis. A novice though. Well she she's not she's not an experienced <laughs> rebel, is she? It's hardly guerrilla warfare, I guess. Yeah. Uh, a slightly easier one here. My girlfriend Polly. And long came Polly. You're correct there, Owen. Oh, thank you very much. So, Owen, if you get the next one right, you have won. Right. It's, I wouldn't um, hold your breath. No, I'm not. Uh, it's uh, Lost in Tokyo. Lost in translation. You are correct, Owen. 3-0 Free. Clean, oh, clean sweep. Facebrooker. Uh, so I, I, th- I think that makes it 2 all. So next week is um, is the decider. Hmm. Excited, tense. Really a good thing that you're not relying on me next week, then, isn't it? <laughs> Who's on next week? Have we got? Oh, we've got Brian Plank and Carol Petz. They're going to join us because we're talking Fantastic Four, which I've seen this week and reviewed on the website. That was an unexpected little segue. I enjoyed that. Give it. Give us a one-word <laughs> review of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> That's not a word. No. Um, it's all right. That's it's two right. words. That's yeah. two words. Well, it's a it's a squashed word I've abbreviated. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It well, in a slightly longer opinion, it's not as terrible as people are making it. It's not, like at the minute, it's eighteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think. Wow. It's not that bad. It is not that bad. People are going to be going to watch this expecting something like Catwoman or Electra or um, even the fucking four. last Fantastic Four. Exactly. It's nowhere near that bad. It's not great. It's about a four or five out of ten, I'd say. But it's just, yeah, it's not that terrible. If that can be seen as any kind of compliment or reason to see it. Almost glad I'm not going to have time to watch it this weekend. Almost. Instead, it's... I'm going to have to watch Max instead, which is probably going to be just as. <laughs> mm. Yes, but um, yeah, that's like that was the third film I saw at the cinema this week because I also saw Safepaw finally, and you've got a review of that on the website, haven't you, Brooker? I have. Yeah. What did you think? I enjoyed Safepaw. Um, I, I kind of went in with low expectations after I read your review because I was expecting a lot from it, and then I sort of you know lowered those after i read yours and thought okay maybe it's not gonna be that fantastic and then it was quite good it was sort of rocky with the seriousness of raging ball yeah i I mean i really enjoyed it it was rocky light with jake gyllenhaal yeah who was brilliant (laughs) who was really good um and the other film of course we're going to talk about later was mission impossible ghost protocol 
Yeah. Um, Rotation. Yes. <laughs> Rotation. Is it oh, Rotation? <laughs> so this is what. Oh, um, this is. I'm putting that down to you, Steve, because that's on your agenda. It is. You're right. It is Rogue Nation. <laughs> they, they, but yeah. Anyway. They're all um, the same. They're all yeah. the same. Anyway. So before we go on to, to, to a triple bill of like we do on these specials, we all, we all get an actor um, or actress and we from the film and we pick their, our three favourite films of theirs. Um, and obviously the main review. We're going to talk a bit about the Mission Impossible film franchise um, and, and Tom Cruise himself. So, Mission Impossible, the film franchise, was a spin-off from a TV series. I think you may even remember watching, Brooker. I do. I used to sit and watch it with my nan back in the day. <laughs> Your mission, if you choose to accept it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I really did, enjoyed it. it, was, did, it, it was... did it. Did they ever say that in any of the films? I can't remember. Yep, in the first one. They get a, Your mission, if you choose to accept this. Yeah. Uh... They say it quite a lot in the recent one, don't they? I'm, I'm trying to, because like you say, they all kind of meld into one yeah. big, long eight-hour film, didn't they? So, <laughs> they do. Yeah. yeah, definitely twice, three times in the first one. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty like, sure it's in, it's in it I'm must pretty, be in all of them. I'm pretty sure they say it at least once in each of them. Can you imagine John Woo making a film for Mission Impossible franchise and not including that line? I can't. No. He's the master of cliche. True. In a good way. I think, but yeah, you know, to to kind of to to not have it in your film, to not ha- have it in your Mission Impossible film is a bit of a slap in the face to fans, isn't it? So so explain the explain the TV show to to those of us too, too young to remember it. <laughs> I'm not that fucking old. <laughs> the TV show was basically it was the, the same as the film. the The TV show was, you know, a group of people who. They were spies. They were kind of covert guys who would need to, you know, rescue people or get, you know, top secret info from somewhere or infiltrate something. It literally, it was the A team without quite so much making shit in barns. <laughs> it, I mean, I really, it was one of those TV shows that you just kind of sat and. You could switch off watching. It was just silly fun, basically the same as the movies are. And then, and then the first one came out 19 years ago, 1996. Yeah. I watched. I didn't quite watch them all again like you did this week, Brooker. But I watched the first one um, again today, and it's 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 still a good film. It's not quite as um, balls out, high octane action heavy as the latter ones. No, it's not. But the thing is, the guy that because Brian De Palma made the first one. Yeah, Brian De Palma don't make films like that, does he? No. Yeah, apart from no, no, can't think of any. Can't think of any Brian De Palma films that are balls out action films. Nothing, nothing like this, no. No. So I mean, this was probably about as close to action as Brian De Palma got. But the thing was, I said it when I wrote my review. When I went back and watched it a few years after I first saw it, and you, I knew who Brian De Palma was. You actually go. Actually, it's a really good Brian De Palma film. Mm. You know, as a Mission Impossible film, it's okay. But as a film, you know, as a Brian De Palma film, it's actually, it's really well made. It's still, and, a, good, it's still a good film for, for, you know, like a spy... It does. It's a, spy it's a action film. Really, yeah. it, it really holds up. I was impressed, actually, as to how much I not only still enjoyed it, but how, how much it did hold up as a good film when I watched it last week. 
and you've still got the uh, the you got the iconic scene in that one where he, where Tom Cruise comes in through the ceiling vent and on the yeah. ropes and everything, which is which is just brilliant. But what what I actually loved watching that is you because again he'd done all his own stunts in that as well, but there weren't that many. There no, was that, there was that in the giant exploding fish tank. Yeah, <laughs> you watch that when you know when, I remember watching it going, well, that's pretty impressive that you've done that. He's and, not he's not hanging off a plane, is he? No, he ain't hanging off the planes and buildings, though. He, he, he upped the ante a little bit as each film went on, didn't he? No. But, I mean, I mean, talking of Tom Cruise, I think lately on the podcast, one of our like topics of discussion that comes up every now and again, other than uh, United Passions and Kill Keith, <laughs> is, is kind of, if, at the moment, there don't seem to be any of these actors like we've had from previous generations that are they're not like Oscar-winning top actors but they've got this kind of star quality presence where they'll draw you in to see them in any kind of any film they're in. Like yeah. you know, I think we've mentioned Harrison Ford in that category before, but it, Tom Cruise from, from then to now is certainly in that uh, uh, category. Yeah, oh, absolutely. No matter if he does believe in Xandar the alien who spawned <laughs> all life on Earth or, <laughs> or whatever the hell it is, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, Maybe he believes Zandar. in a lower tax rate. I think that's yeah. what he's... Uh, Zandar keeping him alive when he hangs off a building. So, you know, you've yeah. got to give him his prop somewhere. There must be something in it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, he is. He's like the, uh, he has been labelled by some people as the last movie star. Because yeah. his he, box office, he's still, his films still rake in a lot of money. Generally, they're very popular. Um... He doesn't. He doesn't make too many absolute stinkers either, does he? No, not usually. I mean, no. there's the odd one or two, but he, like something like Night and Day was pretty wank. But in, gen, in general, Oblivion was pretty shite as well. I, I liked Oblivion. But I think it, I think it's partly because it looked fantastic. It, it yeah, it definitely had a lot of style to it, and I don't think the story was that bad but when i think of like bad tom cruise films i think of something like rock of ages but he but, but he was but he was great in rock of ages but he was the best thing in rock, it. rock of ages was rubbish but he was really he was brilliant in it wasn't rock of ages one of those that was supposed to be really bad like purposefully dog shit um i don't know i just remember james makers go see this awful musical <laughs> I, think, I don't think it was meant to be bad, but it just wasn't good. Yeah. Well, I think like, what, happened what I mean was, is that, I mean, it, it was meant to be just kind of 100% cheese, wasn't it? it wasn't... Oh, yeah, it was, it was certainly meant to be 125% cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but him him as Stacey Jackson, this arrogant, off-the-wall rock god, was he was just brilliant. Mm. But I think what happened with Tom Cruise and his career is he just... He got to the point, I think just from looking at the types of films he makes, where, let's say 2003, where he just thought, I'm not going to win an Oscar. I'm not going to do it now. I've had three nominations. I've made some good films, some really highly respected films, critically. It's still not happened for me. Sod it. Let's just make more Mission Impossibles or star in Tropic Thunder. Um, I'll have a bit of fun with stuff like Jack Reacher and Edge of Tomorrow and... You know, it's kind of working for him. He can obviously poke a bit of fun of it himself. I mean, like he did in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but he's still kind of taking on varying roles because he was in in you know Valkyrie and, and Rock mm. of Ages and Jack Reacher meant to be playing someone who's eight foot four or something. And... 
I don't know, people getting all funny about it. It doesn't really matter to me. If the film's good, the film's good. If the film's bad, the film's bad. It doesn't matter if he's playing mm. someone who's meant to be 8 foot 20 or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen Tom Cruise act really well. He, he's definitely got it in him. If you look at something like uh, Eyes Wide Shut, I think is a very underrated film, one of my favourite of Stanley Kubrick's, and I think Tom Cruise is legitimately excellent in that. You look at something like even years before that in A Few Good Men, where he was great. Even something like Interview with a Vampire is very melodramatic. He's, 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 he doesn't show it so much nowadays, but he's very versatile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. You know, he can do Top Gun and he can do Rain Man. He's like, yeah, you know. But um, one criticism that does get levelled at him, which I don't think there's any evidence for, it, it, people keep saying he's too old to do the kinds of films that he is now doing. Someone I don't said, think that's true at all. Me neither. If you look at him in something like Mission Impossible, the stunts are incredible and you would not believe that, you know, he's too old to be doing action movies, you know, at this stage of his career, when you watch him in something like that, because he's just, he, he's just really good at it. So does, <laughs> does, he, does he genuinely do all of his own stunts then? Completely? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in, Even stuff like the driving in Jack Reacher, where it's meant to be bad and stuff, you know, he does it himself. Hanging off of planes in this is him, it's not a stunt double. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive, because he could just quite easily go... I'm Tom Cruise. If I die on this plane, you're not making any more Mission Impossibles. Get him to do it and put yeah. a wig on to make him look like me. <laughs> yeah, he could do. But, he, yeah, you know, it's a bit of the Jackie Chan about him, isn't it? He's yeah. Just, and, he's, and he's obviously, you know, quite, uh, you know, he, he's obviously got a high opinion of fans. It's quite common knowledge that on a red carpet, he'll stay out there and sign every last autograph. Mm. Which shows, which I mean, when you combine that and he does his own stunts, you really show how much he kind of appreciates his career, I suppose. Yeah. I think mean, that mean, kind he... of goes to show the whole, you know, last great movie star thing, though, doesn't it? He, he clearly gives a shit about making the best film he can possibly make. Yeah. And I think it's he definitely does his own stunts in the films he produces, because he's produced a few of his own films. I've no idea how he'd get insurance for some of the other films that he does. Yeah. Otherwise. Um but, you know, um, as far as the actual Mission Impossible films go, they, they are just, we've touched on it already, they're just one long, <laughs> smelting pot of action movies. They're just, they're just good fun, aren't they? They're, they're no, none of them are bad films, none of them are great films. They're just good fun. I suppose to draw a comparison to another franchise is like Fast and Furious, the franchise. It's... Just good, fun action films. You'll probably forget about them quite quickly after leaving the cinema, but you'll have bloody good fun going to watch them. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other the thing that separates Mission Impossible from something like... Uh, well, yeah, from, from like Fast and Furious, is it doesn't do so much of the stunt casting that those films do. You know, the franchise is flagging, we'll bring in The Rock. Uh, yeah. How do we up this one? We'll bring in Jason Statham. You know, Mission Impossible still sticks with the core of... Certainly since 3... Well, anyway, it's, it's only really got one star, which is Tom yeah, Cruise. Precisely. It's got it's got you know big actors that are, but nowhere near Tom Cruise. You know you got Simon Pegg, Jeremy Renner um, as probably the main other two kind of big names in them. You know they're, they're recognisable household names, but there's no one even 
remotely touching Cruz's star status in those days. Yeah. I mean, I didn't realize, well, obviously I, I knew he was in it, but it didn't kind of, didn't occur to me till last week when I watched it, who his boss is in number two. It's fucking Anthony Hopkins. Is it? <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is his boss. Wow. I'm pretty sure he's uncredited in the film as well. I had no idea. That's a fun bit of trivia. I couldn't believe it. I was just, yeah. literally, I double took when I was watching it. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and I didn't even realise that Anthony Hopkins was in this. He is uncredited as Mission Commander Swanbeck. Yep. Wow. <laughs> that is an awesome spot. I Yeah, I mean, the, the closest that the Mission Impossible films get, in a sense, to stunt casting isn't really with the cast. It's kind of with the directors, isn't it? They yeah. do bring in the currently highly respected action director. Yeah, we had John Woo doing the second, J.J. Uh, Abrams doing the third, um, Brad, Brad, Brad Bird doing Brad the Bird, fourth, yeah. and uh, Christopher McQuarrie doing the, the the current one. They've also announced there's going to be a sixth one now, haven't they? Yeah, I was yeah. just looking while we were talking about you know movie stars. And his Tom Cruise's upcoming projects are Untitled Les Grossman Project. <laughs> Which okay. sounds awesome. Les yeah. Grossman was him in uh, Tropic Thunder, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Reacher 2, Top Gun 2, and Mission Impossible 6. Just holy crap. <laughs> Top, <laughs> Gun t- Top Gun 2. Literally all of those marked up as in development or in production. I, can't, top, I just can't wait for Top Gun 2. I can't wait to see, um, what's his name, Val Kilmer, try and squeeze into a cockpit. Oh, God. <laughs> the size of him now. <laughs> That'd be terrible. You know how they're, they're, they're rumoured to be doing this um, Jump Street Men in Black crossover film? Yeah. They should do Top Gun Independence Day crossover film. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the next big thing, isn't it? Mashups. Yeah. yeah. And that one would work perfectly. You'll have Maverick going off against the aliens. It would be spectacular. No denying that. Listen up, Hollywood. <laughs> we all know he would he would beat the aliens with nothing but his winning smile. Triple Bill, then, where uh, we have a look at our three favourite films from the actor selected for us from the Mission Impossible franchise. Uh, Brooker, you're going to take on Alec Baldwin, who featured in the newest one, Rogue Nation. Okay. So, uh, I mean, when I when you told me I had Alec Baldwin, I kind of went through his IMDb list, and he's done some pretty cool movies. He's also done an awful lot of tat. <laughs> like, there's a lot of tat in that list. Some of it is truly, truly awful. So I thought I'd stick with what I hope is a really obvious one to start with, and that's Beetlejuice. Yeah, nice. Uh, mainly because it's, I think it's the first film I ever saw Alec Baldwin in, and it's pretty much one of you know maybe three Tim Burton movies that I really like. <laughs> but no, it's, it was just one of them films. I obviously I was I was maybe ten when I saw Beetlejuice. I had no idea who Alec Baldwin was. And for like the next 10 years, he was just that dude that played that ghost in that film. <laughs> uh, but So he's one of the, him and Gina Davis haunt a house that's 
that's uh, subsequently taken over by maybe the single weirdest family in film history. And yeah, they kind of they they want their they try to scare the the new occupants out with like less let <laughs> less than uh less than good results for them. No, they, it, I mean everything. I've never seen a film where something would go that horribly wrong for what I suppose would be maybe not quite the good guys because they're like haunting. But no, it's. I don't know what it is about Beetlejuice that I really like, mm. but it, it introduced a lot of lot of people that I I still really like now. Alec Baldwin included, Gina Davis, Winona Ryder for all her faults, I suppose. I really like her as the daughter. Yeah, she's quite good actually. The brooding little weirdo. Yeah. I think she's spectacular in it. But just kind of like the whole comedy of errors of these two as they try to haunt this house and just get everything horribly horribly wrong and then obviously you got michael keaton as beetlejuice which is basically the role that he's been trying then to emulate ever since i i outside of birdman i don't think he's done anything as good as beetlejuice since beetlejuice Mm -hmm. batman 2 i suppose was after beetlejuice yeah he was in um uh, what was that film where he was the neighbor from hell he was in a pacific heights he was quite good in that he was really intimidating in a weird sort of off-kilter kind of way but you're i don't I think mean, i've seen it no <laughs> okay Bird, birdman and beetlejuice are definitely his best though and yeah i mean because he's always been he's been trying to like i say trying to do that role ever since when i what he was in need for speed last year wasn't he and literally <laughs> he was fucking beetlejuice he when you watched him talk and move, he was trying to be Beetlejuice, and it was so embarrassing. Anyway, Ali Baldwin, yes, Ali Baldwin as the the husband, of this daft pair trying to haunt. I thought he was just amazing. And when I went through the list of his films, I am instantly it jumped out. I went, yeah, I have to have to bring that one up because it's it's absolutely one of my favourite roles of his. It's um, I'm. I, I agree that I, I kind of like Beetlejuice, and I don't normally like Tim Burton films, but I, 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 I kind of found him a bit irritated in Beetlejuice, which is strange because I really I do really like Alec Baldwin. Um, but the film itself is really entertaining, really funny. But yeah, I'm interested to see what else is on your list, though, now. See, I, I'm not sure anybody else is going to like my the next one on my list okay and and again i only picked it. i've only seen the film a couple of times but i remember the first time we watched it and it's 2012's rise of the guardians <laughs> okay have i have seen, seen rise it. of the yeah. guardians yeah he, he plays santa claus he does <laughs> santa claus with a nasty russian accent i love it there's it's such a dumb film and it's such a stupid film, and it's absolutely one for the little one when she's a bit older. <laughs> but just the fit, I when I realised it was Alec Baldwin putting on this Russian accent playing badass Santa Claus, I was so happy. <laughs> like a little kid, literally. Is, it, is this the? Christmas. I've not seen it, but is this the one where it's like Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, yep. the Tooth Fairy, and that yep. against some bad guy? Yeah, against the the dark or the darkness. 
or the pitch mm. black. Like Justin Hawkins, the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> or that, uh, Vin Diesel's the pitch black. Yeah. <laughs> what a frightening combination, maybe. <laughs> I, think, I think Jude Law does the voice of the bad guy in that. Which I, again, when I heard it, I was like, really? Jude Law doing this. But the, the <laughs> cast in that film is, I mean, you got Hugh Jackman, Chris Pine, Jude Law. Who's that woman from uh, Now You See Me? Isla Fisher. Ah, uh, where are you? Isn't it? Mm-hmm. it? It's just so much fun. I know animation ain't my favourite genre of film. And I, I tend to sit there and fall asleep halfway through. <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed Rise of the Guardians. I've watched it a couple of times. And Alec Baldwin literally bringing the older Armin Muller style from Eastern Promises. <laughs> I thought he was brilliant. And it's, my last one... Oh, you're sorry, right. One. I was just going to say, like, you're right, and that wouldn't have made my list. But, I, you know, I did, it didn't even cross my mind. But you're right. When I think back about watching it, he was the best thing in it for me. I thought he was great. I mean... I, I'm not a fan of Chris Pine really at all. Hmm. Uh, and he, I think, is billed as the star of it because he plays, I think, Jack Frost. Yeah. Uh, but I, I kind of wanted to watch it just because of the premise and I, I thought he, uh, Baldwin was absolutely spectacular. Yeah, he was great. He was. And my last one's really, really obvious and it's not a film, it's TV and it's him as Jack Donaghy in 30 Rock. The Tina Fey-led written starring uh, sitcom about a comedy show which is basically a really funny version of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip <laughs> but successful it, and rightly so I thought 30 Rock was great for the first couple of seasons at least anyway I thought it was really good it's one of my favourite sitcoms I and literally for the first four or five episodes it was this is just like Studio 60 except it's funnier <laughs> but I really, I hadn't heard of Tina Fey before it started, uh, and I've become quite a big fan of her writing and her acting. I think she's really genuinely funny. But him as the crazed, Nixon-loving businessman that just resents the fact that he's been given this stupid comedy show to look after, he's stellar in it. Yeah. Just every time he's on the screen, you're rolling with laughter. And everything that comes out of his mouth is so, so wrong. <laughs> it's just, it's bigoted, it's racist, it's horrendous, but it's so, so funny. And I just, you can't believe that actually that uh, a studio like NBC would put a sitcom like that on and let it be that wrong. Mm. But yeah, I mean, that went on for seven years, I think. Mm. And it only really had one bad season as well, which I think was three. I kind of dipped out of it at three. Um, I always meant to go back to it, but it's just like, you're right, I think three, was it three or four? Three, probably. I just kind of phased out with it. It got very, very poor. It got a bit samey. It kind of fell into, I mean, every sitcom, especially every long-running sitcom, kind of has that poor season. Yeah. And the thing was, by the time it got to that one, I'd kind of worked this out. So I went, okay, I'll, I'll let you have that. If season four is just a shit, I'm not going back. Luckily, season four picked it up, you know, really well. And I, I think I'm pretty sure I stuck with it to the end. To a really good ending, actually. One of my favorite sitcom endings. 
sitcom endings okay. are a bit of a bugbear of mine. There's never just an average one. They're always either really, really good or horrendously shite. <laughs> yeah, that's always annoyed me with Seinfeld, the way that ended. Yeah. Just com- ugh, that is one of the worst. Uh, that whole like last two seasons of Seinfeld, I really dislike. But it was a horrendous disappointment compared to the rest. Wasn't it was it? so bad, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Thirty Rock, I slow season three aside, it keeps the quality up all the way through. And I and Tina Fey and Alec Baldwin are absolutely the reason for that. And and I will happily. It's one of those ones that I go back to and I binge regularly. And I. Two or three times a year, maybe, I just sit and I start at season one and don't stop till I get to the end. I absolutely adore it, and he is spectacular in it. Okay, and Owen, so you had Simon Pegg, who in the Mission Impossible films from, I think, three onwards, plays Benji Dunn, kind of the tech specialist. Yes. Um, I'm going to be really quick with this, because... This could. This is even more obvious than Brooke have choosing. You, have you just picked? Have you just picked the Cornetto trilogy? Two of them. Right. Pick two of them. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a chance to guess which two. I'm, I'm guessing you didn't pick uh, the World's End. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I like the World's End, but it's not but as good as the other no, two. No, compared to the other two. I mean, the other two are just amazing comedies. Exactly. The, the, the other two the, are just fantastic. The World's End, I think, is good. It gets a bad rap from some people. But it's, I think it's good. But Hot Fuzz and Sean Ledell are just another level when it comes to comedy. Absolutely. They definitely, definitely are. I mean, it's weird as well because they're actually made, they were actually made quite a while ago now. I mean, Sean of the Dead is yeah. over 10 years old. I remember <laughs> I remember seeing posters for it when I was, you know, and it being advertised on, on buses and that when I was at college. So that's going to be 10, 11 years ago. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think 2004 was when yeah. it came out. Um, but it's just got so much rewatch ability, Shaun of the Dead. It's just a really funny British comedy. There's so much in it that every time you watch it, there's something you've either forgotten about from last time or something you didn't even spot before. Or particularly if you've watched a lot of like zombie or post-apocalyptic films at the time. So like, I watched it not long after I rewatched Dawn of the Dead. And then you start start to spot all these I mean, little. You, you can, I think, the Cornetto trilogy, certainly Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead, on a DVD extra, you could watch it with a trivia track that brings up all the references hmm. um, that they've got to other films or songs or albums or TV shows in there. Yeah, I haven't actually done that yet. I've actually only got Hot Fuzz on DVD of the three, um, which is weird. I, I, it's one of those things I've always assumed I had Shaun of the Dead, and then one time I went to watch and I was like, oh, I don't actually own this. How weird. <laughs> but um, Hot Fuzz is... I, I sort of flick between the two as which one's my favourite, um, and it usually just ends up being whichever one I've seen most recently, because they're both really high quality. But Hot Fuzz is fantastic, particularly now living... Like, the first time I saw it, um, i just moved to a little village in the middle of nowhere, yeah. Which is a lot like the village in Hot Fuzz. Um, so it just added all this extra um, humour for me. Because it was like a new place that I was living and seeing everything that I was witnessing every day on the screen and being poked fun of was just hilarious at the time. But even like, again, like Shaun of the Dead, you can rewatch it however many times and there's still some very funny humour in it. 
and it's it's like having a game that's got replay value to it you know it's it's the same thing it's yeah you can watch it again and again and just never tire of it um that said my final choice for simon Pegg is one that not only i've only, only seen it once but for the first 20 minutes i didn't like it and it was it was a strange moment where it switched and i suddenly got it and started to enjoy it and it was um released in 2012 it's a fantastic fear of everything have either of you seen it no no okay it's kind of like a lower budget british comedy um it's about this children's author who then becomes a crime novelist and starts to research victorian serial serial killers and eventually what happens is he just becomes this paranoid delusion like almost perhaps on the verge of schizophrenic mess and um on his way down to a laundrette just goes kind of insane but it's a it's a very british comedy it's a very british comedy but like i said the first 25 minutes i think when i watched it nathan human um on twitter asked me am i enjoying it because he wanted to know whether it was any good and i was like no, I, I'm really not enjoying this. I'm not sure why I'm persisting with it. By the end of the film, I was like, yeah, actually, what happened? I don't know. What changed? I'm not sure. But I really enjoyed it. It, it kind of, I think because it's very quirky. So it's very difficult to get into. And it's so weird to begin with. So strange and unusual that it does take a little bit of time um, for it to kind of establish what it is and what it's trying to do. Because there's lots of details that you think are perhaps inconsequential, but then play a larger part in the story eventually as it goes on. Um, so it feels like the beginning's just got lots of filler in it, but it hasn't. It's all just like a setup for a payoff that comes later. So it's really clever. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was a lot of hard work to start with, but I highly recommend it. I think also what makes it really good is Simon Pegg's performance. Because his character's okay, but it's Peg that makes him laugh out loud funny. And it's it's weird because I kind of think Simon Pegg's gone downhill with his film choices. He, he's, yeah, he's especially when he when he gets a role as a leading man, he's not mm. his his turns are, are pretty diminishing. Um Exactly. But he's he's not like a horrendous actor and he doesn't spoil no. films. I mean certainly stuff in uh, like stuff in Star Trek is He's all right. He's well, just he's, you know, he's egg, per- he? yeah. He's perfectly fine as, as Scotty. Yeah, that's, he's perfectly. That's why he works better though, wouldn't it? Kind of the the comedy relief support character. The, in the in a film like that, I mean, yeah. in stuff like the Cornetto trilogy and stuff like Paul, um, you know, he's perfectly fine as as the main guy. Hmm, but yeah. when it, when it's like a, a a big film, he can't quite pull it off. But he's he's you know perfectly good. At being the kind of the yeah. the backup character, the, the the mate of the main character or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he's quite a naturally funny bloke, I think. So. Yeah, and also an intelligently funny bloke as well. Not doing day and how um, you know, he's writing or anything like that. But you know, I I think I watched him years ago in um, I think it was the Live and Lewd Steve Coogan live show. Yeah, and he his features in that in like if if you watch the DVD he's um he's in the in between segments, and he's just very funny. 
he's very funny. He's got the tone spot on. He, he's able to work with the other actors very well. And then you go and watch him in, let's say, Paul, for example. Um, and he's just like, he's not really developed very well. It's strange because through, through Spaced, through Shaun of the Dead, through Hot Fuzz, he was great. In World's End, he is a little bit up his own arse, I think. He's a little bit smug. But then the um, character's meant to be as well. In that. But you could attribute that to the character, exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of... He's not really become the, the guy I, or the actor that I thought he would be, the comedy actor that I thought he would be. But it could just be down to his choice of films, maybe. You know, well, I've got I mean, no but, interest in but, something like Run, Fat Boy, Run. But or, kind of, you look at... Like I, you know, I don't know the, the say the three big British comedy uh, actors to come out of Britain in, in the last ten years or so. So you've got Gervais Pegg and Steve Coogan. They've all made it big in America, but not really through their films where they're the kind of main. You know, Ricky Gervais is a you know what is it the invention of lying and mm-hmm. the other one that he did where oh, yeah. you can see ghosts or whatever. Awful. Um, Simon Pegg, where he's elite, the new one that's coming out, where the Monty Python is the voice of aliens or whatever they are. That one doesn't look particularly good and it's not been getting great reviews um, and stuff like Run, Fat Boy, Run, that kind of thing. And Steve, yeah. Steve Coogan is kind of a lead man in Hollywood when he's tried doing the Around the World in 80 Days film or whatever. That never really worked for him. Um, they're all obviously great comic actors and they're all successful in America to different degrees, but just when they come to doing films, as them as the kind of lead person, it's not working for them. And who knows why that is? I don't know. I mean, one last thing I will say about Simon Pegg, though, is in the Mission Impossible films, <laughs> he's, he's okay, he's fine, but he, I, I just don't think he works very well with Tom Cruise might just be me i just think he looks incredibly out of place it's like he's in a completely different film yeah i mean there must be something there because he keeps getting asked back and it's not like they couldn't replace him well yeah precisely um or just even write his character they could have easily written his character out after ghost protocol yeah and just got a new tech man in yeah but um yeah i don't know we'll come on to that i guess in a bit yes uh, and I ended up with the main man himself, Ethan Hunt, from the Mission Impossible films, Tom Cruise, for my triple bill. Um, I promise you both, that was at random. I did a random number. <laughs> I, did, I did a random number generator and everything, and it just came out that I had him. Um, quite a lot to choose from. Um, but I'm going to start with, with Top Gun. You it, are going for Top Gun. Okay. Oh, it's just fun, isn't it? It's, it's, awesome. just, it's just stupid fun. It's just got catchphrases, action, <laughs> testosterone coming out of every orifice. Um, and it's, yeah, just fighter jets and male bonding and male rivalry. And without Top Gun, you wouldn't have hot shots. True. There's pause for thought. So, you know, there's, there's that to take into account as well. Um, I just think Top Gun's just good fun, isn't it? It's one of the films you can just watch, not over and over again, but like watch semi-regularly and not get bored of it. Just think, right, what can I watch? Switch my brain. I'll just watch some 
And yeah. It's... It don't matter who you are or who how old you are, you watch Top Gun, you have to sing along to the soundtrack all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great great soundtrack. Great everything. You find yourself it singing is... Danger Zone for the next three weeks. And he's just great as a as a cocky um you know, ace pilot. Do you subscribe to the notion that it's very, uh, how do I put it, like a homosexual Oh, it's gay fantasy? as fuck. It's yeah. gay as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was trying to put it a bit more diplomatically than that, but. It's, it's, it's more bent than a nine pound note. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, I guess that is the, that is the crux of it, isn't it? Who cares? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they're making a second one, which would be great. I just don't see how that's going to work at all. No, I don't, but I'll, I'll be there front row. Well, not the front row, but, you know, front of the queue going to see it. <laughs> uh, next up uh, is, is Rain Man. Uh, more, not more for um, Dustin Hoffman than Tom Cruise. Like Tom Cruise is, is good in it. I just think it's a, it's a great film. I don't think I've ever seen it. I have seen it once, not for a long, long time. I do remember absolutely loving it, though, but I don't think I quite I've, understood it. I've seen it a few times, and it's just, you know, obviously, for those who don't know it, uh, Tom Cruise finds out that he's got a brother who's got, I can't remember what it is now, but some kind of, some form of mental illness anyway. And he, he never knew he had this brother until his, his dad died and the, you know, the inheritance didn't come about. And his brother was the one who ended up with the whole, all of the inheritance. Uh, Tom Cruise ends up holding that against him, but ends up having to, because his brother hates flying, uh, having to go on like a road trip with him somewhere um, and going to Vegas, finding out that he can count cards and things like that, but ends up you know, bonding with him and um, building up a really good relationship with him. So it's kind of a, you know, that type of film, but it just works really well. Obviously, Dust, the, the film was really well received. Dustin Hoffman, as well, more so than Tom Cruise, I think, when it came to awards and nominations. But yeah, just just love it. And finally, I'm gonna. I mean, I could have. There's loads of films I could have picked, but I'm gonna go for one of his one of his more uh, modern or newer uh, films, and that's Edge of Tomorrow. Oh yeah. <laughs> just 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 again, there's not really much more you can say about it. It's just good fun sci-fi action film, a, a decent plot, a good performance. And just fun action. But I yeah, when, but when when so many when there's like so many of these kind of films coming out, whether it's from a franchise like Hunger Games or something like that, whether it's a standalone action film, maybe a bit like his his less good effort from a year previous to Edge of Tomorrow, Oblivion. There's just so many films like that that are amiss, and you just there's so many coming out, you just think, oh, another one that's not so good. When we're we gonna get a good action film, sci-fi action film. Edge of Tomorrow comes along and you're just like, that's brilliant. That's just what you want from that kind of film. Big blockbuster, you know, Tom Cruise doing his own stunts, Emily Blunt, just fun. And just, stu- you know, just action. A, a decent plot as well that kind of makes sense. Um, and you don't get enough of those kind of films. Which is, which is impressive considering I'm pretty sure it's based on an anime. It was um, a manga, I think, uh, one of the comics. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was. It might have been turned into an anime. I can't remember. I um, I don't know. I it's I know nothing about that <laughs> kind of 
area in general. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, it I, was very loosely adapted from it anyway. I think it basically took the um, premise and... To be honest, the only reason I know that is because I needed an explanation as to why Emily Blunt was running around with a big fucking sword. Oh, yeah, well, there you go. I wanted to know where the sword came from, so I looked it up. It's Japanese, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's based on something Japanese. That's all I need to know that answers every question I had. <laughs> So now time to review uh, the latest Mission Impossible film, Mission Impossible 5, or Mission Impossible Rogue Nation as it's uh, properly called. Yeah, that's its full title, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Brooker, you've done a, a fantastic review of this on our website. Um, so I appreciate that, off, thank you. <laughs> so why, why don't you kick us off with the review of that um, on the podcast? Okay, well, I mean... T- the thing with Mission Impossible 5 is a tough, tough film to review because it's there's nothing to it. You know, on on paper, it's a really, really simple premise. It's just, it's a spy film. But let's try. So it's a... Actually, I think the thing with Rogue Nation, and the more I've kind of thought about this a lot since I wrote the review, and I think the the thing with Rogue Nation is it's not just spies trying to do spy stuff. It's It's not just... A, a cheeky espionage film. This time around, actually, it's the IMF, the the people that that Tom Cruise works for, are actually kind of being targeted in this one, which, if I remember rightly, is the first time that's actually happened. So, do you, do you know what? It, just to put in there, do you know what it reminded me of? And I think is a is a good way of explaining it to people who might not be familiar with it. It's like in Captain America: Winter Soldier. When Shield become the bad guys, yeah, there's a possible mole. There's something maybe going on internally, but basically the good guys and they're the bad guys, except for yeah, it's it's really it's been done kind of in a really interesting way. I think they've done it to kind of change things up a little bit. So I mean, and it's I don't think mm-hmm. it's that very long after number four, because uh, no. obviously we get this the, the bit near the beginning where the IMF has essentially been shut down because they've got no secretary because he hasn't been replaced since he was killed in number four. I don't care that I've spoiled the beginning (laughs) because we're talking about number five. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, Jim Phelps is the bad guy in number one, in case you hadn't seen it. Uh, Yeah, so, so because they haven't replaced the guy that essentially controls the IMF from four they've shut them down and in the process of shutting them down uh they've left tom cruise on his own essentially to fight off the syndicate which are quite literally like they say in the trailer the anti-imf they're just they're a a collection of presumed dead or missing rogue secret spy people things uh, ex-special forces, ex-spies, uh, you know, former MI5 people, and, you know, you know, basically the whole horde of people who have the same skills as Tom Cruise and his guys, but are bad guys. Yeah. And this time around, like I said, they're trying to, instead of having some crazy world-dominating plan, they're trying to kill the IMF so they can 
then take over the world and, and do their thing completely <laughs> uninterrupted. It's kind of like, um, I don't know how to, to, I think perhaps what we should do is compare it to the other films because they do kind of have their own identities, don't they? Yeah. Each film. It's got its own like flavour, if you like. Um, and I think what it is, but it is very similar in some ways to Ghost Protocol, I found. Um, but at the same time, like Brad Bird's action scenes were frequent and big. Yeah. And I think the difference between that and what happens in Rogue Nation is that when they when the action scenes do come, they are big, they're huge, they're massive action scenes. But there's a lot of there's a lot more plot going on. Yeah. In this one, there's a lot of like um, uh, not twists that kind of cheapens what they actually do with the story. I think, but there's a lot of to in and fro in between who's on whose side, where does so and so fit in with the whole bigger picture kind of yeah. thing. Um, but as well as that, it still has a lot of chase sequences to it. Yeah, there's a lot of chasing going on. Absolutely, um, it's definitely and it's the first one to actually feel like a direct follow on to a previous one. Yes, it, yeah, you know, it definitely feels like it's following on directly from number four, whereas the other ones four included have been films you know their own separate entities their own separate films mm-hmm. with no real thought as to what's gone on in previous films yeah and this one is definitely definitely plays more like an actual sequel as opposed to just another one in the franchise yeah do you see what i mean i do yeah definitely there's no like um rounding up of the old gang in this one in no. fact isn't the first the first character from the other films that you see isn't it jeremy renner Yep. Is it? Yep. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's kind of they're already there. They're already part of this film. It is definitely continuing from the last one. Yeah. You know, unlike in the last one where they had to go and get Simon Pegg and you know Ving Rhames pops into it for a bit as well. Yeah. It's like that. These people are already aware. We already we already know who they are and the part they're going to play in the film. There's no need for for them to reintroduce everyone in any great detail. No. Except the new people, of course, who it brings in, like Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. Um, who plays a new character? I mean, did did you like her character? She's um, she's perhaps the most is she or isn't she? Yeah, she's she's character. the one that's absolutely there to make you wonder through the entire film whether or not she's actually a good guy or a bad guy. Precisely, yeah. I really liked her character actually. I thought it was, it might, I think it might have been a bit overplayed, uh, mm-hmm. is she or isn't she? Bit, but apart from that, I thought she was really good. She was a really good character. Yeah, I thought they got the balance quite well actually. I was um, a bit fearful that they would constantly be flip flopping between. Oh no, look, she's actually really good, but no, she's done something really evil. I thought they, you know, you don't really know whose interest she has at heart. No. But. But in the thing is, in, in true Mission Impossible fashion, it's twist after twist after twist. Yeah, yeah. After yeah. twists, uh, you know, you, by the time you get to the end, you're still not 100 percent sure what's happened. No. I think as well, the other thing that it does is there's a, it doesn't normally happen with Tom Cruise in the roles he plays. He has got a bit of humility with Ethan this time. Yeah. There's a, there, there is the sense that things are getting out of his control. Yeah, he does. Whereas in, like, in the other films, if something's going wrong, it's just like, uh, clicks his fingers, got a plan, yeah. and he's going to fix it. Whereas this, there's just like, 
it, there's a lot more tension. There's definitely, in, especially towards the end, there's definitely like an air of desperation, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. You know, him trying to still be Ethan Hunt, but still, you know, do everything right. And, but it, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not necessarily working for him and hasn't done for most of the film. Yeah, precisely. Um, whilst we are on the subject of Cruise, then I guess the action scenes, like I said, I think they do very big ones, just not very often. However, I thought they were great. The, the most famous one is probably going to be him hanging off the plane, which was great. But the bike ride, the motorbike chase, I thought was brilliant. I thought that was exactly the kind of thing you want from a film like this. Oh, that was, I mean, it, that's like the, the dictionary definition of heart pounding. I was, it was. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I thought it was amazing. Have you got an opinion, Steve? No, yeah, it was just just what you want from an action film. It was just high octane, fast paced, over the top ridiculousness. Yeah. Um. Okay. What about the support cast? Then we've talked about Rebecca Ferguson, I guess. We haven't really talked about the bad guy. Oh, in it. I love Sean Harris. That he he's a weird looking fellow, isn't he? See, I've only I, ever seen him with a beard before. Yeah, see, I, I've only ever seen him with a beard as well. In, in the <laughs> things I've seen him in, I've only ever seen him with a beard. And the problem was, when you first see him, I didn't realise it was him. No. And it wasn't until the second time he was on screen and he spoke, and I was like, oh fuck, that's that's Sean Harris. But it looks like someone's halfway through putting Gary Oldman's Hannibal makeup on. <laughs> There's something yeah. very weird about that dude's face, and I can't tell if it's actually his face or if it's makeup. I, I don't know. I think I've got to assume it was just his face. I don't think there was. Me- if they were using prosthetics, they were very subtle. <laughs> um, but it, I think he actually is probably the best bad guy that's been in the films, as far as, or certainly the most memorable. Uh, I mean, I, I, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman in three. Okay. As I kind of forget all about him being in that film. As as uh, I said this before, as, as shit as I think it is to call any bad thing in a film the rabbit's foot, and then to have, <laughs> then to have him open asking, uh, open a film asking where it is, and the audience to go, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. Uh, I thought he was great, but Sean Harris absolutely on par with Seymour Hoffman's bad guy. I, I think yeah. I'd need to watch it again before I say yes, definitely the best one they've had. But he is fantastic and a fantastic actor. Yeah. And he's yeah. it's really cool to see him get a role in something that big because outside of Prometheus, most people I don't think know who he is. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I didn't know who he was until we turned up in the Borgias. I thought he was great in the Borgias. But no one's seen it. No, no one wants to get the into the Borgias. I just couldn't get into it. Um, but no, I mean he was very good in this. I thought I did. Just going back to the the bad guys, I did really like. Um, is it Mikhail Nickfist? Is that how you pronounce his name from the fourth one? Who's the weird accented Russian British sounding oh, bad guy? Yeah, yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, but mainly that's because I enjoyed the little fight scene at the end. Yeah, where they fall through all the cars in the garage and yeah. stuff. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I did think Sean Harris was was great. I think he was a really good. He, he what you know, it gets compared to the Bond franchise a lot. Mission Impossible, 
Yeah. But he, I think possibly because he's British, it does have very much a um, flair of a Bond villain yeah. to him. I think he does. Uh, I think maybe it might be a bit, I think it is a bit unfair to say, but he does feel like a cut price Bond villain. He's very good, but he'd mm. never be a Bond, an actual Bond villain. He wouldn't be in the modern Bonds, I don't think. No. I don't think you'd, you'd ever see him in anything opposite um, Daniel this, Craig. No, at this precise point in time where he is in his career, he doesn't have the presence to be a bad no, guy in a Bond film. Yeah. But yeah. I thought he was spectacular. And actually, I really hope that this jumps him off into a lot of other big stuff for everybody else to see him in. It was great casting. It was brilliant. Oh, one bit of casting that did make me laugh was seeing Tom Hollander as the Prime Minister. Yeah. Because <laughs> that guy is so typecast. Yeah. Oh, man. But um, the snivelling... Well, he wasn't actually that snivelling, was he, as the Prime Minister? But he just plays the same sort of character each time, though. Yeah, he really does. Whether it's the thick of it or... Well, not in the loop or Rev or this, you know, it's just... Poor guy. He's actually quite good. Quite a good actor, I think. But, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway. Plenty, um, plenty of little chuckle moments as well. It's one of my favourite things about Mission Impossible is that people forget that there are there are some really decent bits of levity in these films where they really, they can be really funny. Yeah. And I really I I'm glad that they 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 decided to keep it and not go all kind of dark and serious and Yes, because they do a lot of over-the-top stuff, they, and they can get away with it. Unlike something like Ocean's 12, where you just shake your head in disbelief. Yeah. I mean, something like this is, it's what you want. You want the gadgets, you want the high-tech stuff. You want. You don't want to question where the fuck has he managed to get a, like, a race car like that in India. You know, what you think is, <laughs> you know, in 20 minutes he managed to get a super-fast car and stuff. And this, you go... Yeah, fuck it. It's Mission Impossible. That's the point. I so it's desperately a... walked out of the cinema and I so desperately wanted to go to the local BMW dealership and see if they had a car I could unlock by holding my hand on the window. <laughs> that looks awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you who I was really impressed with, actually. Uh, again, as, I, as I've been in the other days, Jer- Jeremy Renner. I was, he's really taken to that role and he, he does much better things with it than in something like the Avengers films, I think. I think he's used properly in Mission Impossible. Yeah. That's not to say he's not used properly in Avengers, but I don't think, while I like him as as Hawkeye, I think he's kind of ignored a little bit. Mm. And, you know, put, genuinely brushed aside as the side character he is. Whereas in something like Mission Impossible, I think he's, he's given a chance to get his teeth into it a little bit. And I really liked but- him in this one. Yeah, he's part of the main trio now, isn't he? Yeah. You know, Cruz, Renner and Peg are kind of like the three main dudes for this film. Yeah. I mean, maybe that could be a sign that Cruz is getting older, that he's now giving more screen time in these films to other actors. Um, it would be it'd be interesting to see Renner given the chance to take over another action franchise, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind Born Legacy. I, I thought Born Legacy was great, but I thought Born right. Legacy was great mainly because of him. But it, yeah, it was down to Renner. Um, it wasn't down to the sh- writing or anything else. The rest no. of it was it was just a Born film. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was just a bit of globe trekking and yeah. some over the top stunts. But you know, he's he's had a few now in in these two Mission Impossible films. Yeah, I think he's going to play a bigger part in each one as they go along. 
Yeah. Rightly so. Rightly so. I think he'll sort of start to become level with Chris. And Jeremy Renner is quite a big film star. He is. You know, he's legitimately um, highly uh, praised by critics for his performances. Getting awards or at least nominated for awards. And, you know, it's great actually to see that he still can do films like this. He has screwed me over, though. After, Has he? after the Hurt Locker, I said to my mate, within five or six years, that dude's going to have an Oscar. Then the, <laughs> then the dude done a complete left turn and started doing shit like the Avengers and Bourne and Mission Impossible. He ain't mm. getting an Oscar doing that. <laughs> Could have with American Hustle, maybe. Yeah. Although yeah. American Hustle was pretty shite. Just all round. Even, you know, Renner and and Bale and everybody else involved in that. No one could rescue that film. It was a fucking abomination of a movie. Uh, that's, I liked I liked American Hustle, but I'm aware that it's not. <laughs> Actually, I, I completely forgot. I just had a look at his IMDb profile. He was in Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. I completely forgot about that, which was by the guy who did Dead Snow. Yep. Which was actually a pretty fun little film. Remember I what I said about him screwing me and his Oscar? That pretty much. <laughs> that was the final nail <laughs> in the coffin. Yeah. Oh, man. But, um, yeah, okay, so overall, where does Rogue Nation fit in the franchise for you guys? Um, that's a tough question, man. Yeah. If you were going to rank them, what's top? Have you got a favourite? The second one, I'd say, is probably the best one. So I'd probably go with four. For the best one. And then maybe one and five joined at number two. Okay. So that high then, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like... <laughs> we were talking about this earlier um, off the podcast, but I recognise two is a bad film. But I still enjoyed it. I still... It was the only one I had a lot of fun watching. It's yeah. absolutely one of those films like, that's complete and utter dog shit. And but when you, if you look at it as a film, if you try and critique it as a film, it's complete and utter dog shit. But you can't help but have fun exactly. while you're watching it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the objectivity versus subjectivity debate, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's you can recognise it's just so bad. There's just so many cliches and twists, and it's ridiculous with the whole sort of masks and stuff like that. But there, there absolutely has to be that point where you have a movie where you can sit down and switch your brain off for a couple of hours. But yeah, and just exactly. enjoy it. And Mission Impossible, I don't, I don't think Mission Impossible is beatable in that sense. Hmm. Well, but you know, that said, I did really enjoy Ghost Protocol. Um, they did all these films do blend into one for me slightly, but Mission Impossible. Um, the Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation I'd put just below that and then I'd probably go one and three I wasn't really keen on three but uh, yeah there we go I'm not sure what else to we've got to say about it no, I suppose no that's it so I'm trying to do some recommendations for the week ahead I'm going to go for Thursday night so hopefully Owen's got the podcast up by then yeah. and that is the Horror Channel at nine o'clock and Donnie Darko Still a bit of an overlooked film, I think. Some people still don't kind of know about it or realise quite how good it is. So definitely give that a watch. Cool. Uh, Brooker? Uh, I'm going slightly different this time because usually I find something on Film 4 to recommend, but they've got bugger all on this week. (laughs) But uh, on Friday night, 
So only slightly different. On Friday night at nine o'clock on More Four is the Gary Oldman Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Good film. Which um, I, I adore. Everybody um, should watch it. Owen? I'm actually going to theme this with the podcast tonight. So if you go to Netflix UK, um, there's quite a few Tom Cruise films on there. More than I expect. Because you kind of just now expect Netflix to be a bit of a bargain bin of films. But they've got um, Mission Impossible 2, the first one, and Ghost Protocol are on there. Jack Reacher was on there, which I enjoyed. I thought it was quite good. And Oblivion, which we've talked about. And also one we've not really touched on, but War of the Worlds, the um, Steven Spielberg version. I think it's a pretty underrated blockbuster. It's it's fine. It doesn't deserve the flack that it gets, but it's not great. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I would say go to Netflix, have a look at some Tom Cruise films, and um, enjoy a couple of those. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for this week's Failed Critics podcast. Thanks for everyone who has listened. You can find the website www.failedcritics.com. Next week, me and Owen will be joined by Carol and Brian Plank, and we'll be reviewing Fantastic Four's new outing in the world of cinema. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.